vulnerability is a business advantage. And what I mean by this is if you can be vulnerable to the point of sharing uh, from time to time things that make you human and less than perfect, then that actually helps you be more likable. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Utah Phillips, and it is, it's better to be likable than to be talented. Our guest today, Dave Kirpin, has excelled at helping many leading brands grow by becoming more likable to their customers. He's the founder and CEO of Likeable Local, which helps companies reach a wider audience with tailored social media campaigns. Dave's also the New York Times bestselling author of several books, including Likeable Social Media, Likeable Business, and his latest, The Art of People. Dave's a world-renowned keynote speaker and has been published on Inc., CNBC, New York Times, and more. Dave, I'm a, welcome. I'm excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur. And I'm always curious uh, how that started for people, what, and what, what age and what it, what it looked like. Because it was always, oftentimes very disruptive in the traditional school system environment. Right. And my, my story is a totally crazy one, as, as I'm sure many folks are. But um, I, was in, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, from the time I was in third grade through probably junior year of college. And while I was in college, I was a big baseball fan. And so I decided, let me get a job uh, at uh, the stadium nearby. I was in in Boston. I took a job working at Fenway Park and also Boston Garden. And I was a ballpark vendor. And if you don't know a lot about the ballpark vending business, you're essentially a mini entrepreneur. You get paid totally on a commission and tips based on what you sell. There's no hourly salary whatsoever. So you're talking about for like the people who walk around with the peanuts and the drinks and that stuff? That's right. That's right. There's no hourly. Wow. I didn't realize that. No hourly. It's commission on straight commission and tips and it's a seniority based system. So you have to work for years to get the hot dogs or beer. So consequently, literally my first day on the job, I was the, the absolute low man in the totem pole. I was assigned a product called Crunch and Munch which is buttery toffee popcorn with peanuts. Yeah. Um, it's like a Cracker Jack wannabe. And super quick side note, it's part of a family of all four in, in the buttery toffee popcorn with peanuts family have ridiculous names. So there's Crunch and Munch, Cracker Jack, Fiddle Faddle, and Poppycock are the, are the four competing brands. So anyway, my first day on the job, I sold literally 10 boxes and I was paid the legal minimum that they could pay me of 10 bucks. Yeah. Came back the second day, determined to make more money while I was there. It was nice to be at, at the ballpark, but I wanted to, to, to make more money. And so what I did was I started just a, a little bit of a shtick in order to get people's attention. Uh, and it, I started singing and dancing and juggling boxes. And before long, I had developed a personality as the Crunchy Munch guy, and I started selling a lot more boxes. And um, I had zero talent whatsoever, um, but I was courageous enough to to take some chances and make a fool of myself. And the one smart thing I did that first year on the job, I started getting some media attention. I was written up in the Boston Herald. And the day that I was in the Boston Herald, somebody asked me to autograph a box of Crunch and Munch. So 
At first, I thought that was kind of weird. You know, they had a Sharpie to get autographs from the players, but they ended up asking me to sign a box of Crunch and Munch. So the one smart thing I did was I, I asked if I could borrow the Sharpie for the rest of the night, and I proceeded to, to sign every box of Crunch and Munch that I sold unsolicited for the rest of the night. And what I was able to do just in that one night was create the perception in the building that not only did you need to buy a box of Crunch and Munch from the Crunch and Munch guy, but you needed to get it autographed. Well, sales skyrocketed, and before long, I was making as much as $1,000 a night selling Crunch and Munch. Wow. And I, I just really <laughs> fell in love with the concept of sales, marketing, promotions, and really building my own business. And, and how old were you uh, when this again? I was 20. Okay. I, was, I was 19 through 21. I graduated from BU. I eventually thought I had to get a real job, even though I was making, obviously, really good money yeah. for a kid. I took a job working at uh, Disney in sales out of Boston. And I was the number one salesperson in the country uh, until this woman started working in my office and she dropped me to number two. So naturally, I fell madly in love with her and um, decided that I would want to spend the rest of my life with her. But um, that is a good way to eliminate the competition. If you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) There was was one slight problem. Now, every, every entrepreneur is good at problem solving and creativity, but this was a problem that I couldn't necessarily get around at the time. It was a She was married already. Okay. She ended up moving to New York to focus on her marriage. And I did what anyone with unrequited love would do. I I quit the company and went on a reality TV show to find true love. And which show was that? Um, It was a sleazy show on Fox called Paradise Hotel. Oh, I was going to say, I feel like I saw Paradise Island at one point or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it's often confused with Temptation Island. Which Temptation was, Island. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. That, that didn't feel good after watching that. But yes, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. it was a very sleazy show. It was Sexy yeah. Signals at a Luxury Resort. They were trying to break up couples. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Sexy Signals at a Luxury Resort and me, which made for good television, um, me compared to all the others. And um, I, I was on that show for a while and uh, three months and came back and lived in LA for a little while. And that was what I call the, the anti-entrepreneur period. I was creating no value in the world. I was getting paid to show up at malls and nightclubs and bars. And I was sort of famous, but I hadn't done anything um, and really, really wasn't doing anything. <laughs> so it was a really miserable time. And I was at the um, American Music Awards. And uh, I, I really missed that, that uh, woman that I had been in love with at Disney. Um, and even though I had worked hard to let her go and it had been over a year since I talked to her, I, I had a, a moment of weakness and I called her up to kind of brag and I said, hey, I'm uh, hanging out at the American Music Awards. What are you up to? And she said, well, actually, I'm at home and I'm um, going through a divorce now. It didn't work out. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes. <laughs> little fist pump. I uh, told her a little white lie. said that I needed to be in New York to meet with my agent, which was non-existent. Um, came to New York, we started dating. And when we got engaged, we both had a, a very uh, strong brand marketing background. We, had, we both had some relationships from our time working in radio sales and in marketing. And I really wanted something larger than life for a wedding, like a really big wedding. But she had been married before and then it had led to a divorce. And so she was very uncomfortable spending on a you know, traditional New York wedding. So we had this idea to, to partner with a minor league baseball team and create a sponsored wedding promotion. And we pitched it to the Brooklyn Cyclones, the minor league affiliate of the Mets. The GM said, this is the craziest idea I've ever heard. But um, for some reason, I, I don't know, I think you guys might be able to pull it off. I'll, I'll, and he gave us the inventory from the game. And we proceeded to create a, a sponsorship event called Our Field of Dreams. 
and we sold sponsorships to all of our wedding vendors. Um, and then they participated in promotions during the game. So instead of throwing out uh, T-shirts, uh, 1-800-Flowers threw out uh, bridal bouquets. Hmm. Smirnoff made an official drink for the night. Uh, there was a bridal dress competition and, and somebody won a, a bridal dress from David's Bridal. So we took all of our wedding vendors. We ended up raising $100,000 for an amazing wedding. I was able to invite everyone I ever you know, was friends with. We had 500 friends and family there and 5,000 strangers at the end of the game that stayed for the wedding. And uh, we, we had a $100,000 wedding that was you know, completely uh, paid for by our sponsors. And so the event was awesome because I got married to the love of my life. Um, but it also turned out to be a very successful uh, promotion for our, our vendors. And they literally came to us afterwards um, after getting so much press and said, this was great. What, what are you guys going to do next? We couldn't get married again. So we started our first company, which became likable. And what, what, through these experiences, I guess, what was the premise of, of likability or how, how did you define this as your core differentiator? Well, so we started off in the experiential marketing space, right? We had just done this wedding and uh, we started off literally doing similar events. And what happened was social media opened up beyond students. Yeah. And Facebook opened up beyond students. And we quickly realized that Facebook and social media was a much better way to generate word of mouth and buzz and be more efficient than mall events and baseball stadium events and some of the experiential marketing that we had been doing for clients at the time. So we pivoted to uh, social. Our name was still actually, our original name of the company was called the K-Buzz. Okay. And I ran for office in, in New York City and I ended up dropping out of the race but wanted to focus on the family and the business. The, the incumbent, the 72-year-old incumbent called me up and said, Thanks for dropping out and, <laughs> and, and, and hopefully I'll get to hear you one day. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, hear you on, on your, don't you work for a radio station, KBuzz? And I knew at that point that we had a really horrible name for yeah. our company. Um, Facebook had just, had, was about to launch the like button actually. And so I had a conversation with some folks at Facebook um, about the name likable. And they said, yeah, we love the idea, but... I don't know how long we'll go with this. You know how quickly we change things around here. I said, all right, well, we'll take a chance. And I bought likable.com for 3000 bucks, which turned out to be a great purchase. And, um, and, and we launched, we, we really pivoted to focus on social media. And it was originally strictly a social media uh, name, right? Obviously, likable means generating likes, being worthy of likes, creating valuable, interesting, relevant content. But after I... Uh, start after I wrote my first book about likable social media and was on the speaker circuit, I realized that the concept of likability really extended beyond social media. And yes, it was great for companies to be likable on social media, but it was even better for them to be actually likable, to actually build customer service teams and management teams and, and any customer facing employees, really any employees that um, espouse some of the same principles of likability that I had written about and spoken about. Things like listening and responsiveness and authenticity and vulnerability. So I, I ended up really going very deep, or I, I guess as a poker player, I would say all in on the concept of likability. And to this day, I, I believe that that those that are likable in, in social media, in business, and really in life and relationships end up on top. I'm, I guess I'm a, a nice guy's finish first uh, type person. 
Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. And and there's a little, probably some people, like you struggle with this paradox, or not you, but I think people kind of approaching this where, I mean, you said authenticity, which I agree. You know, I think the most likable people are clearly who they are. But in this world of likes and like doing things for the wrong reason and taking the picture, not because you wanted to, but staging it, how should leaders and companies think about, you know, trying too hard to be liked versus being liked for who they are, I guess? Isn't, is that, isn't that the sort of core... I think core issue a lot of people are struggling with. I, I think it's a it's an issue that people have struggled with forever. Right. It's just exacerbated by social media. Correct. Social media magnifies the issue because now the issue is more public than it ever was before. And I, it, it, there's no easy answer. I guess what I would say is um, I believe that the good news is that at the risk of being um, very blunt about this, that vulnerability vulnerability is a business advantage. Yeah. And what I mean by this is if you can be vulnerable to the point of sharing uh, from time to time things that make you human and less than perfect, then that actually helps you be more likable. And there there are limits to this, of course. So, you know, I guess none of us like the person that is always complaining on social media and, and negative. Right. The, the, that is fewer probably the examples than the people who 
my, my wife and I have a divorce predictor indicator uh, where, where the people who are writing these anniversary cards to themselves on, on social media and stuff that it just feels uncomfortable reading, you know, between two people that we're pretty sure that their marriage is in trouble. Yeah. So, right. So, so there's two ends of the scale, right? There's the person that's always complaining and, yeah. and, you know, and has literally no filter. And then there's the person that is pure filter and, and only sharing. Actually, my wife writes about in her book, she writes about what she calls the highlight reel yeah. and folks so obsessed with sharing the highlight reel that, that it's too good to be true. And so my, my sort of long, short, short answer for the long question and problem is, um, I, I believe that we, we have every right to, and, and frankly, option to, uh, arguably responsibility to, if you're a marketer like me, uh, humble brag and share the good stuff out there. But at the same time, it ends up being very valuable um, and actually effective <laughs> to right. share you know, when, we, when we have the occasional uh, weak moment or, or sad moment or vulnerability. And so it's finding that balance and, and being real. Um, and also, I guess, not overdoing it too in, in our world now. We have to be careful not to sort of... Yeah, I mean, this is a tightrope back. I mean, I'll challenge you on one thing you said, because I think it's probably the definition of more that you said it. I read somewhere that like people despise by a factor of five to one, the humble brag over the actual brag. So I, right, there are, I think there are degrees to where the humble brag looks, you know, like so honored to be named one of the 10 smartest people, you know, in the world. I, 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 I think there are a lot of people who react more poorly, but I, I think this is a more a matter of how than the terminology around it, right? Yeah, and I think it's very tricky. Um, it's very tricky. For instance, I'm not, one of my pet peeves is when people say, so humbled to be, on, to be honored. I'm like, you're not, you're not humbled. You're bragging about it. That's not humility at all. So yeah. I'd rather see somebody say that they're honored than that they're humbled as an example. Right. I, I've also, someone told me, you cannot declare yourself a thought leader. You could also not declare yourself humble. Is that same rule? Exactly. Exactly. Totally fair. Totally fair. And I think what I, what I advocate for and believe in is a, is a very healthy mix of uh, humble bragging, or we can call it bragging, and then really sharing others, putting the spotlight on others, yeah. because th there's so much opportunity there. And we're so caught up in our own crap to promote that sometimes we, we lose sight of just how many others in our network we can share the great stuff that they're doing and, and how that ends up coming back to us tenfold. That's interesting. So we're kind of at an inflection point, I think, between, uh, and I'm curious, you have this kind of command and control model of leadership, I think, is is kind of uh, going out the door, but a lot of people are are not with that. And so they're used to, you know, that their authority is is really in command, is really about, you know, how they lead. So, you know, either for new leaders or these leaders that are kind of still holding on to this because it's the playbook they know, how do you balance like authority and credibility with vulnerability and likability? Because I think a lot of people in your model, they're, they're very delicately intertwined, but a lot of people would see those as like the opposite sides of the, of the balance beam. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty firmly on the side of, of course, of, of, of likability and vulnerability. I think that we, we establish authority and credibility with our work, yeah. <laughs> with our ideas, with, with our writing and with what we say and how we say it, we have an opportunity to, build consensus and think of ourselves not as managers, but as coaches, not, not as uh, dictators, but as leaders, not as uh, authoritarians, but as guides. And when we take this approach, uh, in my experience, it's, I've been able to build organizations and um, teams where people like working for their 
uh, manager and and, right. and like going to work. And I and I think that the the, the days of uh, fear based uh, management they're either gone or, or dying quickly. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're dying. They're dying more quickly than I think a lot of people realize. Um, I had a business owner come up to me after I keynoted at a conference talking about kind of building great cultures and he was pretty much in tears and his his dad has run this business you know and he has all the equity and it can't, everyone's turning over and his dad's kind of like you know who's keeping 90% of the profits not telling anyone why interesting you know is goes around everyone telling everyone all day they don't work as hard as him they're not good and this guy can't keep anyone and he's just like at his wits end and you know so I said to him I said look that that if he doesn't change that playbook he'll probably be the last person to run this business uh, but it's very hard to get someone you know who's that set in their ways to change that it's very hard if not impossible and um, you know if that person's listening now I would say yeah. you know it might be worth uh, thinking about building your own business that was my advice <laughs> um, was to either have the conversation and get to the why that person really felt that way or make the decision to move on. I, I want to throw another paradox at you because I'm curious how you react to this. So I, part of becoming likable, I would think, is, is not being worried about being liked by everyone, right? I think if you're trying to be every, everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to no one. So how, how do leaders become comfortable, again, particularly if you're authentic, like not everyone's going to like what, what you have to say. And then there's always a push to like change that message, right? Totally. Um, it's a struggle. It's definitely <laughs> a struggle for me. I, I'll, I'll share a, a sort of a funny or interesting story from my time on reality TV or after that time. So we had a show therapist. And um, as it turns out, of course, that therapist wasn't actually keeping what we said confidential. He was going right back to the producers and, oh. and using it for storyline. But I, I should, it shouldn't be a surprise in retrospect, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But I, I confided in him, you know, quite a bit during the show. And then, so I felt a relationship with him that I used afterwards when I, I was struggling with, this was a little bit before social media, but there were message boards back then. And I would read these message boards and I would see, you know, thousands of people that had nice things to say, but hundreds of people that had not so nice things to say about me. And I, I really struggled with that. Even, even walking down the street, I could see yeah. people would walk up to me like, dude, I was rooting against you. You know, like people had, had no problem like sharing like negative stuff about me. So I called them up and I sort of said, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this and what, what can I do? And he said, I have two questions for you. He said, first, exactly what percentage of the entire world do you need to like you to be happy? And then second, how exactly would you measure that <laughs> once you decided? And um, th those questions got me to thinking about the, the question that you just asked and the, come to the realization that we, we ultimately can't control who likes us and who doesn't. Yeah. Um, what we can control is our, our actions and our words, and we can live with intention and and, and treat people well. And so that, that we, we can do what we control and, and, you know, not everyone is going to like us, but that is most certainly an important life lesson for me. You know, I was so obsessed with, uh, with being liked that I named my first two companies uh, likable and my first three books uh, likable, but I, I'd like to think that I, I, it's something that I continue to work on to just remind myself that there will always be people <laughs> that don't like me no matter what.
And, and I'm sure you've, I've heard this advice from people who help coach speakers that really like if no one hated your speech or wasn't offended by it, then probably no one was dramatically impacted by it on the other side. Kind of if it was a warm cup of tea, you know, for everyone. In fact, Kevin Kelly popularized this blog post, or I think Tim Ferriss helped you the thousand raving fans, right? And, and the notion of, you know, the, the, rather than trying to appeal to everyone, and in the sphere of micro-influencers today, like find those thousand people who really care and believe in you are your tribe and you'll, you'll actually have a bigger impact. That's right. And, and I think taking a stand on things and standing up for what you believe in, even when it, I mean, for instance, for instance, I, I have not shied away from um, my political beliefs, which many folks would be like, yeah, n- never mix politics and business. Well, right. in this world of online I, I write about and advocate for being the same person at working in home, public and in private and, and online and offline. And so how could I not practice what I preach when it came to politics? So, so I remember in the, in the uh, 2016 election, um, I was you know, active online and I, I lost several customers that came to me and they said, you know, we're not, we're not staying with you because of your political beliefs. And so I, I could either shut up and or or deal with the consequences, and right. so I chose to to deal with the consequences. Now, it's impossible to measure how many customers I kept or gained by taking a stand, but but I, again, at the end of the day, we we sleep, we go to no matter who we're sleeping with, we're sleeping with ourselves, right? <laughs> so we, we we have to live uh, according to what we believe in and, and deal with the consequences. All right, we're going to take a quick break from a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Dave. Hey everyone, I'm excited to share that my new book, Friday Forward, Inspiration and Motivation to End Your Week Stronger Than It Started, releases on September 1st. My Friday Forward newsletter has inspired over 200,000 readers, and this book is a curated collection and update of the 52 most impactful stories from the series. Each story is intentionally written to challenge you to improve at work and in life, and to lead others to do the same. If you enjoy the conversations on this show, you'll get a lot out of this book. Learn how to make lasting changes in your life, motivate others, and impact people you haven't even met. Get Friday Forward in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook on September 1st. And for more information, go to www.fridayforwardbook.com. That's www.fridayforwardbook.com. Hi, everyone. If you're not a subscriber to Harvard Business Review, you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content. Widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information, Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their incredible podcasts. Premium subscribers can also access a selection of Harvard Business School real-world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training, which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE 
to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. With everyone fighting for attention these days, how can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. And we're back with Dave Kirpin. So before the break, we were talking about some kind of different rules and about being consistent. I know you also have a concept called the, the platinum rule. Can you espouse on that and, and how leaders can leverage it? Yes. Um, so in my, in my research for the art of people, I came across the platinum rule. And it's a response to the golden rule. So the golden rule that we all know is treat others as you'd want to be treated yourself. And the golden rule of course, is a fabulous rule, but it fails when the way we would like to be treated is not the same as the way that the other would like to be treated. And so it's definitely a great principle. Obviously, the goal, I'm a fan of the golden rule, but what the platinum rule is, is treat others as they would like to be treated yeah. versus how you'd like to be treated. And it's a little nuanced. And what, what it means essentially is if you're not sure, ask, get to know the other person to the point where you understand his or her core motivations and, and needs and wants, and you can act with that in mind rather than your own wants and needs in mind. So I, I, do, I, I think that for, broadly speaking, the, the golden rule is great, but I, I believe that the platinum rule is that much more valuable, in, certainly in business. Yeah. And, and look, you're probably familiar with a book. Uh, it's hugely popular called the, the Five Love Languages, right? That's sort of on this, which is that most people treat their spouse with how they want to be treated uh, with what their love language, not, not the other one. And then there's a ton of mistakes in that. And I think that, I mean, I've heard so many people talk about that book. It seems like what you're saying, like uh, the golden rule is nice. The golden rule is nice as long as like I think it's funny. It applies to like, yeah, if it, treat people with respect and how you want to be treated, like I think the macro level things, but it's the micro where we're all very different and have different needs. That's right. And the love language is, uh, is a perfect example. And yes, of course, I'm a huge fan. And, and you know, early on in our relationship, I would give my wife all these gifts and, and because <laughs> gifts is my love language, and she'd be like, I don't want these gifts. I just want you to take out the trash. So her, hers is acts of service. Hers is acts of service. And so it was so foreign to me to think that taking out the trash would be, would be uh, equivalent to me getting her a nice piece of jewelry. But, you know, at the end of the day, I said, 
you know what? Saved a lot of money. It's going to save me a lot of money <laughs> and keep my yeah. marriage happy. So yeah, heck yeah. I'll take the garbage out every single night. You got it. But you can buy me some nice things, please. <laughs> yeah. And, and what seems to work well, couples I know who have um, dug into that have tried to figure out those things that I have to brainstorm one that, that cross over, right? Where... So where, where is an active service that's a gift? You know, if, if, if she got you a gift where you went to go do something together, right? That would be kind of like the, the win-win or something like that. T- totally. And, and uh, well, so while we're talking about it, for anyone out there that isn't uh, into the lo- uh, five love languages, I am a big fan. It's very valuable. Uh, the latest book that I read with my wife, and so m- my wife is my business partner. And so uh, we're actually about to launch a podcast called In It Together. And do quite a bit of work together. And so we, we, we constantly work on our relationship as well. So the latest book that we read that I'd love to, to plug is uh, called Eight Dates. And it's by uh, John and Julie Gottman, who are really fantastic relationship uh, psychologists. And um, we, we just went through going on these eight dates together and, and talking about some really deep, interesting, valuable conversation topics. And it's been wonderful. It was a wonderful experience to just advance our relationship. So you mentioned that the Platinum Rule is part of your latest book, uh, The Art of People. Um, tell us a little bit more about the focus of that book. Sure. So I mentioned sort of my journey with like likability and taking... Uh, so my first book was likable social media. And then I, I took some of the principles and applied that to business. And so my second book was likable business. And then um, again, realized that a lot of what I was writing about didn't just apply to business, but it replied, it applied to relationships of all sorts. And so the art of people talks about uh, how to get more of what you want out of your relationships and out of your career and out of life by engaging in some of the principles of uh, like ability of becoming a better listener and better at mirroring and validation, some really important psychological principles and, uh, dealing with conflict better. And it, 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 the, the subtitle is 11, 11 people skills that will get you everything you want, which is a bit hyperbolic, but um, there are 53 sub chapters that talk about various um, people skills, ranging from the platinum rule to something as simple as always take the water, which is actually probably the skill that I get the most or second most feedback on in, in the whole book. And um, what, what, what was it again? Always take the water. So, so oh, always you, take the water. Okay. I, I thought it was like what drinking a certain amount of water thing a day. Different. Okay. No, no. <laughs> when you go to a meeting, whether a sales meeting or an investor pitch or, or a meeting of any kind with a new, with a new person, you know, they, you show up and they offer you something to drink. And most people, or certainly many people say, no, thanks. Cause they don't want to put the person out. And the, the converse is true. And, and the example I use is when, when people come over to your home, if they come show up at your house and, and you say, would you like something to drink? I have iced tea, water, beer. And, and the person says, no, no, I'm fine. I don't want anything. You actually, it actually feels uncomfortable. You actually feel like, you know, what's wrong? You don't think I'm a good host? You don't, you don't want my drinks? And so the reason that you say yes to the water or the coffee is to put the other person at ease and make the other person feel good, which sets you up for success in, in the meeting. Got it. So the art of people is full of, of I guess, uh, examples like that, both sort of very practical examples and then also much, much bigger things like how to uh, let go in a conflict or how to, how to uh, uh, listen better and, and respond and, and focus on the, the person that, and their needs instead of your own in order to ultimately get what you want. 
Yeah, there was a concept I heard this week, uh, which was play your chips or hold your chips, I think, where someone literally gave one of their consulting clients uh, poker chips because they would just try to solve too many problems and not listen. And they said, you know, here's the amount of minutes that you can talk in the conversation. So play your chips carefully. And it sounds like that dovetails a lot into what you're talking about. Totally. Um, I do talk about listening a lot. And, and people ask me, well, how do, how do you measure that? And one of my mentors, uh, a great guy by the name of Vern Harnish, uh, uh, sure. uh, yeah. video, and um, a speaker, terrific guy. And he, he said, you know, you can actually measure the KPIs is the measure how, how long you talk in a meeting versus how long you, you listen, literally minute by minute and go in there with a recorder, have an assistant do it, but, but measure that and improve upon that. And the more you listen, the better you will you will succeed. And the more you talk, the less you will succeed. And it's amazing how something that simple and straightforward and perhaps even counterintuitive is um, very practical and, and real in terms of helping folks make improvements. Yeah, our, our backup system for the podcast as we share with you is Uber Conference. And actually one of the interesting things about Uber Conference when you're done, it sends you a call summary of how many minutes everyone spoke. And I always found that like very enlightening, particularly if it was a sales call or a partner call, uh, I think it's interesting to see that data in front of you. I'm surprised more companies haven't done that. Me too. Now, I always feel uh, I, I always feel um, a little uh, self-conscious when I'm talking about this on a podcast because you know I, it's hard for me to listen too much versus talking in, in this context. But, yeah. but yes, uh, I talk with, with respect to sales meetings. It is actually a very, very that's a very, very valuable tool. So, what do you have in the works? Uh, I'm sure you're working on something new, new books, new ideas, new companies. You always seem to be uh, moving the ball forward in some way. Yeah, thanks for asking. I um so with respect to new uh, sort of books, um as I mentioned earlier, I'm about to launch a podcast with my wife called In It Together, and we're going to talk about uh, managing career and family and marriage with your with your significant other, and I'm really excited about that. And we hope to turn that into a, a book and a, a sort of dual keynote at some point in the in the future. And then uh, my latest company is called Apprentice. I'm super excited about it. Um, it came totally organically. I've had College students worked for me over the last uh, 13 years in my first few companies. And my latest apprentice um, came to me. He worked for me for two years. He co-authored the third edition of, of Likeable Social Media. He worked on a million-dollar project for a client, helped me with numerous personal projects. And he came to me and said, Dave, what you're doing, you, you, you've taught me so much. And I, I know I've helped you a lot. And I feel like you've done this before with other students. We should scale this concept. And I said... You're darn right. <laughs> and he went from being my executive assistant in, in college to being my business partner and co-CEO on this venture. And so what we're doing at Apprentice is connecting entrepreneurs and C-level uh, executives with really smart, motivated, driven college students that serve as their remote EA, but really more than that, more like their remote COO in training or CMO in training or project manager. These are really these are not your typical EA. So they can do all of the admin work, but they can also do all of the uh, sort of more higher level thinking work that a typical EA might might not. Be so able kind to. of more like a chief of staff in that way. Like a chief of staff. The reason I don't use that word either is that you think of a chief of staff as being on site, and so these these folks are remote. But yeah, they're they're like they're like a, almost a second in command, or or, or a, yeah, I, I think chief of staff is a good. It's a pretty good role. I, they're an apprentice. I mean, that's the the bottom line. Right. Is I'm trying to bring that word back because I think it's it's relevant in the business world, and I'm disrupting both the uh, college uh, market where where you know 
we as parents, I, I'm a parent of a junior in high school, so I'm getting ready to spend yeah. a fortune on an education that I'm really not sure how practical and valuable it is. I'm, um, I'm with you, yeah. So on the one hand, I'm disrupting that. On the other hand, the trend towards remote work and, and, and freelance is such that the days of having a you know $75,000 uh, EA that or secretary that isn't necessarily technology savvy I'm wondering, you know, how much longer that that will be in existence. And so, what I'm I'm betting on is colleges need to provide real world experience, yeah. and entrepreneurs and C level executives will be more interested in uh, a smart, driven, hungry uh, young person to to serve in a role for them than than maybe uh, a more traditional assistant. Awesome. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's linkedin.com practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So Dave, last question, and this can be singular or repeated, but what's a personal or professional mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? Yeah. So the biggest mistake I've made on a repeated basis is uh, hiring the wrong people and then keeping them too long. It's such a cliche to hire slow, fire fast, but I, I'm a <laughs> it, it is easier said than done Yeah, it, on it, both it, fronts. Yeah, it, it totally is. It totally is. And I, I the the problem, and I, I find myself coaching a lot of folks on this. And so now I use the fact that I'm coaching folks as an excuse <laughs> to remind myself to get it right. Yeah. But, you know, what we, what we often do and what I've often done is, you know, hired someone and then realized at some level that they're not right. And then what happens is we have cognitive dissonance and we, we try to convince ourselves. Tell that, yourself all kinds of lies that you don't even believe. Yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And maybe if they just did this, or maybe if I just did this, and it's it just 99% of the time it doesn't work out. And then, you know, it's only really a matter of how much time we waste. And so what, what I've learned to do is as soon as I realize it's not a fit, have that conversation and help them realize too, that if it's not a fit, then they're going to be happy somewhere else. And, and, and to the extent possible, help them get to where that is. Very, very similar to the approach we've taken, kind of taking some of Kim Scott's work and Radical Candor and Patty McCord and trying to help the people, but not deny the reality of, of where you are. That's right. Great. So Dave, where can people uh, find out more about you and your work and your books? Yeah. So for better or for worse, one of my personal core values that I've written about uh, quite a bit is responsiveness. So you can hit me up on any social network and I promise to respond even though I get thousands of messages a week. So I'm on everything, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and uh, then all, we're all things likable for my companies at books. So I mentioned Art of People and I mentioned Apprentice. So that's at chooseapprentice.com. And, um, but I'm pretty easily Googleable because I'm the only Dave Kirkman out there. So I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> help anyone. Oh, oh, and one more thing. I, I host uh, office hours every Thursday afternoon. I talk to coach anyone that wants to talk 
pro bono, uh, you can go to scheduledave.com to sign up for my, my free office hours. And it's a couple months out, but um, I, I get a great uh, kick out of that because I meet all kinds of interesting people through that. Yeah, I love that. And I've heard more people doing that. All right. Well, Dave, well, thank you for coming to uh, spend some time with us today and sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Dave and everything he mentioned during the show on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thank you again for all of your support. And until next time, keep elevating. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. Here's why I love Darius and The Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and Tiny Habits expert and author BJ Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new, and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions, and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.